Let's dive into God's Word and the theology of God's Word as we are exploring really what God says about His Word. And what I'd like to do, and throughout this series, we're going to start each sermon this way. Um, guys, if you could put the slide of Psalm 119 up. I'd like to just read this together. And each week, we're going to read a different stanza of Psalm 119, a psalm about God's Word, and just enjoy it. As we read it, listen to the truth that's in there, but also listen to the heart of the psalmist, how he says we should see God's Word and love God's Word. So let's read this together, starting at verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your Word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Lord God, we pray that as we come to studying about Your Word today, we would find truth in Your Word that You claim about Your Word, Lord, and that we would have a confidence in the Bible we hold, a confidence that these are Your words and that they are Your instruction manual for our life and Your directions because You love us, because You're revealing Yourself to us. Lord God, bless our time of study. In Your name, amen. William Tyndale, someone that you may have, have heard the name Tyndale because we have Tyndale Publishing and some other things. But he was a guy um, that lived back 1494 to 1536. He devoted his life to the translation of scriptures and translating them into English. He believed that the, the, the common person, the everyday person, should be able to read the Bible in their own language. And it was that important that we have the Bible in a language we can understand. He was the first to translate from Greek and Hebrew. And he translated with such skill that many of his words and phrases are still in our English Bible today. He was compelled by a desire to make the truth of the Scriptures accessible to everyone throughout England. In 1525, Tyndale worked with a printer in Cologne, Germany to produce the first New Testament in English translated directly from the Greek. The authorities stopped the printing, but Tyndale escaped. Tyndale said this from Cologne, And it reveals his focus on building up his fellow Englishmen in their faith. I have here translated, brethren and sisters, most dear and tenderly beloved in Christ, the New Testament for your spiritual edifying, consolation, and solace. This alone moved me to translate the New Testament. I had perceived by experience that it was impossible to establish the lay people in any truth unless the scriptures were plainly laid before their eyes in their mother tongue so that they might see the process, order, and meaning of the text. A year later, in 1526, as Tyndale's New Testament was growing in popularity, the Bishop of London burned copies at St. Paul's Cathedral. In response, Tyndale wrote that it was his duty before God to continue regardless of such reactions. However, he knew that the authorities would not stop at just the burning of his translations. He said this, Some will ask, perhaps, why I labor to do this work, since they will burn it, seeing that they have already burnt the gospel. I would answer that in burning the New Testaments, they did nothing more than what I expected. No more shall they do if they burn me also. If it be God's will, so will it be. 
In translating the New Testament, I did my duty, and I do so now, and I will do even more as God has ordained me to do. And burn him at the stake is what they did. He was betrayed, and on September 6, 1536, Tyndale was declared a heretic and executed in Belgium. Executed at the stake, strangled, and then burned. His last words were, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. That is how committed he was to making sure people had a copy of God's word. Because it was that important to their spiritual growth. It was necessary for their spiritual growth. It was the key of how God creates growth in people and sanctifies people and brings them to truth. Interestingly enough, the following year, in 1537, King Henry, the same king that authorized his death, King Henry VIII finally approved the publication of the Bible in English. He got his prayer. And we have the Bible in English. That was the, we have different versions now, but that was the beginning. But what a, a testimony to a man that believed that God's word was more than enough, that it was necessary and needed for the believer to walk with God, that it was sufficient for a walk with God. And I, I love reading stories like this of men and women's commitment to God's word because it inspires us, doesn't it? It challenges us to be that committed to take the word that seriously. And so as we go through this little mini-series on doctrine, we're talking about God's Word. And, and, and my prayer is that we affirm our stance of what we believe on God's Word, that we, we are confident in that, and that we grow in our love and, and need for God's Word, our thirst for God's Word. And so last week and this week, we're looking at what does the Bible say about itself and some classic doctrines that you will read in any, any doctrinal textbook or, or any, any doctrine of the church And we're saying, okay, this is what God says about His Word, because you always would want to start with what it says about itself. In the next two weeks, we'll look at some external evidences for how we know God's Word is reliable and true. And then we'll study some things like different translations and um, how to study it and some uh, how to deal with um, apparent discrepancies in God's Word, because we need to get a handle on this. This is our, our key tool as believers to our growth, to sharing the gospel, And so we need to make sure we are clear on what God's Word says and what we believe about God's Word. As always, something I mentioned last week, if you have any questions that you you hope we answer in the series or any any questions about what we talk about, because we're just taking really brief overviews each week of something that entire books are written about, then please talk to me, email me, and let's discuss it. And let's, um, let's really know what we believe. So last week we started in talking about, um, we started with three of the five absolutes about the Bible that we're going to talk about. And I listed them in your notes again so you can have them and, and really a definition of each one. The first thing we said is the Bible alone is the very words of God. And that is classically called inspiration. We mentioned God breathed out of, of 2 Timothy 3.16. Inspiration is the act of God coming onto a man through the Holy Spirit and breathing the very words of Scripture, thus moving that man to, in his own style, write exactly what God wanted written. And we explored that last week. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen and, and study the notes. And I always include more Scripture than we're able to talk about in the service and look those up and read those and see what God's Word says. Second absolute about the Bible. The Bible alone is completely without error, inerrancy. God himself is truth, we mentioned. 
God himself is truth. Every word is from God. And so God's word must be truth. And so therefore, the Bible is inerrant in its original authorship in all aspects, including historically, factually, and spiritually, and does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. We've had some wonderful conversations this week with some of you, what that means and how each of those plays out. And number three, the last one we talked about last week, which is really a consequence of the first two, uh, a, a conclusion, the Bible alone is our ultimate authority. And this speaks to the authority of Scripture. As the Bible is infallible, inerrant, and absolutely trustworthy in all it teaches, it is the final authority and only divinely intended authority for faith and life. So that's last week in a nutshell. So this week we want to look at two more absolutes about the Bible, truths about the Bible, and specifically we'll look at the sufficiency of Scripture that Scripture is enough, that God gave us enough in His Word to live for Him, to know about Him, to know Him, to be saved, that this book has everything we need to walk with God. That He didn't leave us hanging. And the other aspect we'll talk about today, which really is a different facet of the same, same idea of sufficiency, is that God's Word is necessary, the necessity of Scripture, that without it, we cannot know God. Without the truths here and the revelation there, We cannot be saved, and we cannot know the gospel. And so we'll explore those today, spending most of our time on the first one, because the second, like I said, is just sort of a different way of looking at it. And and we'll see what God says. So first, in point number four, in, in the Bible alone, God has given us all we need for godly living. And I would underline the word all. In the Bible alone, God has given us all we need for godly living. This is the concept of sufficiency. Now, I know a lot of times we, we would agree with inspiration, that these are God's very words, and we'd agree with inerrancy. There is no error here. And in our heads, we often agree with sufficiency, right? And we would say, yes, the Bible's enough. One of the authors I was reading said, in his opinion, sufficiency is where the Christian church struggles the most. And not with a head knowledge, because we'd all agree to it, but with a practical outworking. And if we believe that this contains all that we need to walk with God, the question the author asks, which I, I open with, is why don't we study it more? Why don't we give it more importance in our lives if this is sufficient for walking with God? Why do we keep wanting other sources? Why do we keep wanting a different book or five steps to a wonderful Christian life? And I'm not saying it today as we go through sufficiency. I am not saying that all other books are bad. You, you've been in my office. Books are awesome. I am not saying that all other books are bad, but that the Bible is the source of truth and sufficient for living. And if we're to look at another book about how to walk with God, it better go back to the truths of Scripture. And if it doesn't go back to the truths of Scripture, then it is not based on the foundation that is inerrant and inspired. And so just with with that out of the way, I don't hate books. We're not going to have a book burning in the gym afterwards. But this is what will help us most. And this is sufficient. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, does the Bible, is it really relevant Does it really contain information that will help my deepest needs, my deepest problems, my deepest hurts? Absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. And if we think it doesn't, we're not looking in the right place. And we're not understanding it. 
And so when we come to sufficiency, my definition would be the Bible contains all of God's words that we need for salvation and godly living. The Bible contains all of God's words that we need for salvation and godly living. Frame in his theology says, Scripture contains all the divine words needed for any aspect of human life. As he just um, takes these words and applies it to life, it's great. And so the idea here is that God has not left anything out that we need. Both for salvation, we have to consider both, both for salvation and godly living. You know, so yesterday we poured some concrete out behind the CE building, right? Or, or kids building, because air conditioning's coming. So just um, r- rise up and call this deacon board blessed, uh, because this is happening, and we have concrete pads to prove it. And what we did, we ordered from a concrete company. They brought out a truck and a mixer and mixed all the ingredients and then wheelbarrowed it out, those that, that could, and, and, and laid it out, right? Well, what if they came out and they said, you know what, it was, it was, a, little, it was a rough morning and we forgot one of the ingredients. We forgot cement. But hey, we still have gravel and we still have sand and we still have water. We're going to mix that together and we're going to put that in pads out back. Is there a problem with that? Yeah, what would we have out there right now? Rocky mud. Uh, that's it. It would not set up. But Glenn, is it setting up out there? I mean, is it, it because you need the ingredient of cement? So, so you're probably wondering where I'm going with this. But God, in His Word, wouldn't just give us three of the ingredients for how to live with Him, for how to be saved, and leave one out and say, "Oh, I hope you find it. Good luck." And by the way, I'm coming back and I'm going to judge sin. And if you don't find it, you're toast. No, God in His love and His grace and mercy has given us everything we need to walk with Him. That is sufficiency. It is essential to understanding the Father's love and care for us. And this is why this has to be the basis of our arguments for how to live godly lives, for our arguments about doctrine, for our arguments about anything in life. And so we look at some of the implications of sufficiency, that the Bible is more than enough. And, and the way I have it, I have lettered A through F, some of the implications of sufficiency, what this means. And on letter A, we'll, we'll explore a little bit some examples of that in Scripture But letter A, the Bible is the only divinely intended authority for faith and godly living. And this really replicates the definition in many ways. It's the only divinely intended authority for faith and godly living, and God uses it as the essential tool to help us grow spiritually. It's a lot of words that say these. this book is the only book that contains God's word for how to be saved and how to live for him. And God will use it in your life. And think about salvation. This book contains how to be saved. Without God's Word, we would not know that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross. We would not know that He lived a sinless life. We would not know that He was a substitute for us because we are sinful people. And so it shows us our need that we are sinners. It shows us the consequences of that, that the wages of sin is death. And it shows the answer for that, that Jesus took those wages, He took that consequence on the cross as He took our sin and He died. This illuminates, it convicts, it saves. All of that is found in Scripture. We'll talk in a minute about general revelation and special revelation. 
And, and this is special direct revelation because we can't know that from seeing the stars. You don't look at the stars and say, oh, Jesus died on the cross. You can't know that just from... We need to be told that. We need God's revelation. In 1 Peter 1.23 we read, Since you have been born again... And he talks about, okay, what's the method of being born again? Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. And so Peter there is arguing that God's Word is the agent through which we know about salvation. It's part of the salvation process. We know that it's through grace alone. We know it's through the work of Christ. But how do we know about that? Through God's Word. And so when we say it's the only divinely intended authority for faith, we're talking about salvation. And, and then godly living, how to walk with God. And this is Second Peter 1.3, our key verse for today. And a verse that is, is often used to come back to this topic of sufficiency. In Second Peter 1.3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In fact, if you haven't turned there, please turn there to 2 Peter 1.3 because I want you to see this. 2 Peter 1.3. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one under a chair around you. We invite you to take that. And if you don't have one at home, take that home with you so you have that. And Peter here is talking about God's revelation of truth and, and, and God providing us enough revelation to live for Him. So we read, His divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Do you catch the word all again? We are given everything we need for life and godliness. Not just some things, not just three of the ingredients, but everything we need. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. And so we, we, we have everything we need for Christian life through knowledge of Him. And as we look through Scripture, how do we get knowledge of Him? God's Word. Knowledge of God doesn't just come when we get together and say, you know, I feel this about God. God is so, so fluffy and squishy and He's wonderful. No, we, we have to have an objective source of information and that is God's Word. And Peter is arguing that through God's Word there, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. There are no missing ingredients. No missing pieces. The Bible and God's Word, His revelation is sufficient to help us know God. And it contains all we need to know about God. And that's where it gets, it gets a little tricky, right? Because we, we often want other information about God. We often wonder why God left some holes in our understanding and why He didn't tell us everything in His Word. If I was God... And then lightning comes. <laughs> there, are, there are things God chose not to tell us by His sovereignty, by His will. And we accept that and we believe in Him. But this contains everything we need to have a relationship with God too. To be adopted sons and daughters of the King. Now again, I'm not opposed to other books. Other sources help as they expand on God's Word and the truths in God's Word. So how does God's Word help us live for God? How does it, how does it 
how is it sufficient for life and, and godliness and living for God? And, and to do this, I thought, what if we just explore some of the verses for, that, that talk about how God's word changes us? And so we have seven bullet points there. We'll just go through them quickly because what I'm hoping to do is give us an overview of just how impactful and how important God's word is in our spiritual growth. The first point there is God's word enables us to grow and become more Christ-like. It sanctifies us. The word sanctify comes from sanctification, and it's the idea that we are gradually coming into conformity with the person of Christ, that God is helping us grow, that tomorrow I'm more Christ-like than I am today because I'm growing in Him. And so salvation and justification happens when we believe in Jesus Christ. That happens at salvation. And the rest of our lives, we're learning how to live for God, right? And He's revealing sin in our lives, and we're like, oh... I need to do this, or, oh, I blew it here. And that's sanctification as we are becoming more and more Christ-like. No one in this room became perfect when they accepted Christ. Sorry, even those of you that think you did. No one became perfect when he accepted Christ. So God is continually forming us by degree to degree into his glory and into his likeness. In John seventeen seventeen, Jesus' prayer to the Father about his disciples, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And, and he's, he's, his prayer is that God's word, the truth of God's word, would continue to sanctify his followers and bring them into Christ's life, change their lives. It would chip away the junk in their lives and start to say, this is how you live for God. And so God's word enables us to grow and become more Christ-like. Part of that chipping away is number two, God's word reveals what is really inside our hearts. God's word reveals what is really inside our hearts. We read part of this this morning, Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We are really good at hiding things in our heart, right? And and acting a different way from what we're really feeling sometimes. And we need something in our lives that will break through the facade and get to the truth of what's really in our hearts. Because the only way we grow, the only way we grow into Christ-likeness is if the junk in our hearts is exposed and dealt with. What the author of Hebrews is saying is God's Word does that. It's living and active, so it's, it's, it's actively affecting our lives and, and challenging us, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. And, and he, what he's doing there is showing that even to our innermost self, God's word reveals the truth. That can be scary. That can be hard. But until we reveal the junk, we can't fix it. God can't fix it. We can't fix it says, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, there's all kinds of TV shows. There's Outer Limits, Twilight Zone, things like that, where you can read people's thoughts and hear what's really going on in their heart. I would never want to. Would you really want all of your thoughts and the intentions of your heart on display for everyone to see? Man, I have a a hunch it would cause some division. (laughs) some issues with unity. But what, what God's Word says is that God's Word does see that. 
And it gets to the heart of it. And it reveals it. And we could hide that all we want, but unless it's revealed, God isn't sanctifying us like the first point. In fact, verse 13 goes on, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And, and this verse isn't a... It does scare us, but it also should begin to comfort us because in your worship folder, I I go on from there, and then it talks about the grace of Jesus Christ. And God's Word exposes the junk, and the work of Jesus Christ heals it. And it's a beautiful thing. This is the sufficiency of God's Word. Nothing else exposes the lies in our heart like the truth of God's Word. Nothing else. And if we're not in God's Word we probably are harboring truths or or falsehoods and lies and junk in our hearts that isn't being exposed. Martin Luther once said, the Bible is alive, it speaks to me. It has feet, it runs after me, it has hands, it lays hold on me. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it does. And so how does God's Word, how is God's Word sufficient for spiritual lives? sanctifies us, reveals what's in our hearts. Third one, brings spiritual wisdom, especially to salvation. Brings spiritual wisdom. Second Timothy three fourteen and 15. And again, I encourage, I put all the, the references in your notes. Look these up during the week. But Paul tells Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted, acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And again, we see a tie between God's Word, the sacred writings, Scripture, and being wise to salvation and spiritual wisdom, spiritual insight. Fourth bullet point there, God's Word equips us to do God's work. God's Word equips us to do God's work. And... and on all these, you can think of the inverse. Without God's Word, we are not equipped to do God's work. Right? If we ignore God's Word, you're not ready to do God's work. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, uh, it just continues right from the last verse, two verses we read on bringing spiritual wisdom. And we use these for saying Scripture is God-breathed. But, but listen to how, what it says about equipping us for, for God's work. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And, and that training in righteousness is how to live, and the correction is, is coming alongside and showing us how to get back on the right path. But the next verse, it's almost as if Paul says, well, I need to give Timothy a real tangible example of what this means. He says, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word that there at the beginning of 17 is referring back to Scripture. That that God has given us Scripture. It's God-breathed, so it's useful that we can be equipped for every good work. The word perfect there is mature. We cannot be spiritually mature and ready to do God's work without Scripture. We just can't. And, And we can fake it for a while. But that faking it will always come out if we're not in God's Word. This is how important the doctrine of sufficiency is. And this is why authors say they think we struggle with it as a church. Because so many times we coast on what we know and forget that we're still learning. Next bullet point. 
God's Word gives all we need to live blameless, holy lives. It gives all we need to live blameless, holy lives. Now, on this and the next point, you might say, well, Pastor Ron, we sin. This isn't true. I'm not saying we don't sin. I'm saying the Bible gives us all we need to not sin, but we don't always listen to it. And we're stubborn and we're rebellious and sinful people. And so it gives all we need to live blameless, holy lives. Psalm 119.1 Blessed are those who way, whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. It's out of Psalm 119 where every verse is about Scripture. And he's saying our walk, our, our lifestyle can be blameless. Those who walk in the law of the Lord, which was a, a reference to the Scripture they had at that point in time. And the psalmist is saying that's how we live blameless, holy lives. The next bullet point is later in that same chapter, Psalm 119. It empowers us to defeat sin and and combat temptation. And this is the passage we read together at the beginning. How can a young man keep his way pure? I love that he starts with that question. That's applicable today, right? How can we stay pure? In In a sexually charged society with everything going on around us, how can we stay pure? How can we stay pure in a society that says... You know what? You need to, 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 don't worry about getting married. Do what you want. It's just physical. How can we stay pure in a society where every, every form of pornography is available in, on our computer? Is the Bible practical? Yeah, the Bible's practical. Makes me want to say, okay, well, okay, how? Tell me. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it, his way, according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You could rephrase that. I've memorized your word. I've meditated on your word. I've let it penetrate my heart. I continue to think about it. That I might not sin against you. The Bible's answer for purity? The Bible. God's God's word. And so, so many times when I'm working with young men and we're, we're talking about purity and conquering some challenges there, one of the things we always do is memorize what the Bible says about purity. Because His Word says, let's store it in our hearts, and that's how we defeat sin. God's Word empowers us to defeat sin and combat temptation. And then finally, God, God's Word gives God's moral will for us. His moral will. It gives the parameters within which to, to live. The moral truth. Then when you're within those parameters, if you're doing everything the Bible says, then we can choose what we want to do within that, that fence. So there's, there's verses there that you can look up. Those are some verses that talk about the will of God. That you're sanctified. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That you give thanks in all circumstances. That you do good to all people. There's so many more things, but the Bible gives us His moral will. Now, now, no, when we get into, is the Bible relevant, people are often thinking down to the specific steps they need to take to do practical things, right? The Bible is dealing with your heart and motives and thoughts. They're dealing with a bigger picture that affects the actions. We could do all the actions right and have a heart that's just cruddy. And so the Bible is going to deal with a bigger picture of thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's not going to give us a YouTube video on how to, to fix something on your car. 
but it's going to tell you your attitude while you're doing that (laughs) and to trust God and to give thanks in all circumstances. That's practical. But so many times I believe because it's dealing with our thoughts and attitudes, that's why we don't want to go to it because we'd have to really change. And we're looking for quick fixes and quick growth and easiness in our Christian life. No, God wants to change us completely. He wants to to rip every shred of sinful thoughts and attitudes out of our hearts and replace it with a love for Him. He's given us the tools we need to work with. You know, and working without the right tools is frustrating. And so if we're not in God's Word, we're going to be frustrated. But let me just give some practical examples of, of ways sometimes we don't think the Bible is re- relevant. What about if I'm having an argument with my spouse? Never happens. We always agree fully. What if I'm having an argument with my spouse? Does the Bible speak to that? And, and we're looking for how is the Bible going to prove that I'm right? Right? And, and if it doesn't, it's not relevant. No, no, what if we read verses like Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. What if we read verses like Ephesians 4.31 and says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That might change how we disagree. That might change the heart and the tone. That might make me listen to my wife and say she might be right. Let's talk about it. Let's love each other and work this out. In marriage. Oh, the Bible only has a couple passages about marriage, and I really don't like the Ephesians 5 one, so what else does it have to say? (laughs) So let's go to Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Let nothing be done for yourself. Put others before yourselves. Count them as more important than yourself. That applies to the body, but might that also apply to marriage? If they're a person, yeah. That solves most marriage issues right there, quite frankly. What about Ephesians 4.32, the verse after the one we read, that, that talks about being kind and forgive one another, even as Christ forgave you. Might that also apply to... Do you see how God's Word applies to real life? If we take the principles and realize my heart needs to change and not just my actions. What about when I don't know what to do with kids, when kids are frustrating me? What if I'm so angry? And then I think, and this is one I put in my memory memory verse system, Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, lest they become discouraged. That doesn't mean I don't correct them, but it applies to the tone in which I do that, right? God's Word is practical, guys. It is sufficient for how to live for Him. Don't ignore it. If we're struggling with pride, it speaks to that. If we're struggling with with government and we don't think the country is going the right direction or we get angry at politicians, it speaks to that. Have you been on your knees praying for them? For their good. For God's wisdom. Are we submissive? But we we so often forget that God's Word is the foundation. It is sufficient for life and godliness. And we look other places. 
I, th- this is why I'm, I'm so strong on if you need counseling and if you go in for therapy or something like that, they must be a Christian counselor. And, and I'm not saying that, that those that don't know God can't expose some things and do good work. They're just always going to be partial because they're not going back to what is sufficient for all of life. We have to realize the doctrine of sufficiency infiltrates every part of our life. Is this important and vital in my life? That's the question. That kind of application, though, that kind of getting to the heart of the matter takes work. It takes energy. It takes effort. You can't just get into trouble one day, open the Bible and put your finger down and say, I'm going to apply that verse. God, show me your will. You know, the old story I love is um, a man wanted to know God's will for his life. He prayed, show me your will. He opened his Bible and put his finger down and it went to Matthew 27, 5. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. He's like, well, that can't be it. That's not what God wants me to do. So he says, let's do it again. And he, he, he lets his Bible fall open and he points and it's Luke 10, 37. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. <laughs> well, let's give God one more chance. And he opens his Bible again and puts his finger down. It's John 13, 27. Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. <laughs> we laugh at that because it's ridiculous. By the way, those are all real verses. Torn horribly out of context. But if that's our approach to God's Word and how it applies to our God's Word and we're not in it consistently and we're not studying it and we're not trying to understand what it means, that's the foolish decisions we'll make and claim it's from God's Word. We have to be in God's Word to prove that it's sufficient in our lives, to to believe that. Like I said, that's sort of the bulk of the message. We have 10 minutes to go through the rest of your notes. <laughs> that's okay. We're on the second page. <laughs> so what else about sufficiency? And these all flow from this. That's the heart of it. So what other things flow from it? And most of these I've already talked about, so we'll go through these. Letter B, we have to be engaged with God's Word for it to be effective. Contrary to what you thought you learned in college, you can't just put this under your pillow and, and let it sink in. A lot of my friends, yeah, I'm going to study for a test. Just put it osmosis. Just put it under my pillow. No, we have to be engaged. We have to read it. We have to listen to it. We have to study it to be for it to be effective. One author wrote, a Bible in the hand is worth two in the bookcase. There's a lot of truth there. Simple thing. Anytime we turn, anytime we tune out the messages God gives us, we put ourselves in peril. And by ignoring God's word, we're tuning out his message because we know that this is sufficient for life and godliness. And so study it, be in it. As you read it, ask, what does God want me to, I like to, what does God want me to think about this and, and in my heart? And what does God want me to do? And as we read God's word and explore those things, and it's transforming, it's amazing. But I'm convicted. And, and my challenge to you is, When is the last time other than Sunday or at a midweek Bible study that you opened your Bible? Or the app. I'll give you the app too. And that probably tells us what we believe about sufficiency in our hearts. 
Be in God's Word. Let's encourage each other to be in God's Word. Letter C. True Christian doctrines and beliefs must be solely based on unchanging Scripture. True Christian doctrines and beliefs must be solely based on unchanging Scripture. If it's not in Scripture, it's not a core doctrine or belief. If it's not in Scripture, that's not the hill to die on. Our beliefs and doctrines must come from God's Word. They must be founded in God's Word. Now, we can discuss whether we've interpreted it correctly, and we can discuss what God's Word says, but that's the foundation, is what does God's Word say? And one of the keys that that I, I put in this point is that it's unchanging Scripture. And so, if it's unchanging and our doctrine is based on it, then our doctrine should be unchanging. This is part of why we have our doctrinal statement at Village in our Constitution that requires a two-thirds majority of members to change. I can't just go change the Constitution. I can't just go change what Village believes. Praise God. I mean, what if I had a bad pizza and didn't, didn't sleep well, and I'm like, ah, I'm going to change this doctrine. No, we're protecting doctrine because it's supposed to be solely based on, on God's unchanging Scripture. Isaiah 48 says, 40 verse 8 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Forever. Now again, this is hard in our culture today. Our culture is changing the, the norms, changing what they believe. We have, we have Karen Pence, the vice president's wife, who decided to go back to work and teach at a Christian school. And what is she being called in the news? A bigot. A bigot for wanting to work at a Christian school because that Christian school has, has a Christian view, a biblical view of sexuality. And our culture has changed and they're saying she's a bigot, she's on the wrong side of history. Guys, God's word doesn't change. We don't have to update the sections on sexuality in the Bible to fit today's culture because God hasn't changed. And so I stand with her. And I applaud her, especially for the flack she's taking right now. Letter D. This, this, is, this is really important with sufficiency. The Bible contains all that God has said on these topics, and we do not need additional revelation. The Bible contains all that God has said on these topics. We do not need additional revelation. There will be no more additions to Scripture. The staff here won't come out with a a couple of more books to go in the New Testament. It's tempting sometimes. But the, the, the canon of the Bible, we'll talk about canon in a few weeks, is complete. We have the divine revelation that God intends us to have, and it is sufficient for our obedience. It is sufficient in what God chose to reveal of himself. Cults are always adding things. People are always adding things. In Proverbs 35 and 6, This is talking about the Old Testament Scripture, but every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to His words, lest He rebuke you and you be found a liar. Nothing needs to be added to God's Word, and nothing is missing. We don't need to find some secret document with the keys to Christian living. We have them. So let's focus our attention here. 
You know, again, so many times we're looking for more, and, and, and I'm sorry if you like this genre of books, but we have a whole genre of things that are adding to Scripture, giving us new revelation about Scripture. Things like, I died and went to heaven, and now I'm back, and I'm going to tell you what it's like. Village, if God wanted us to know that about heaven, he would have put it in his word. Don't trust a toddler's dream. This is the source of God's word. And it is sufficient and it is complete. I need to keep moving. Man, we could talk a long time on this doctrine. Letter E. We have confidence and peace in following the Bible since it contains all that God wants us to do. This is similar to, to, to D, these come in pairs. We have confidence, we can have confidence and peace in following the Bible since it contains all that God wants us to do. There are no hidden commands. And we talked about this with the ingredients. There's no hidden commands that God's going to hold us accountable for that aren't in His Word. And doesn't this show His love? Doesn't it show how much He wants us to be in relationship with Him and follow Him that He gave us everything we need to do? If someone has a list of things for you to do to to be godly and it's not in here, be afraid. (laughs) Be very afraid. Because this is sufficient. I mean, imagine this. Your your boss, this tomorrow you go into work, your boss says, I'm going on a business trip. He leaves you a list of things to do. While he's gone for the week, you do the entire list, and when he gets back, he gets angry with you because you didn't connect with a particular client he wanted you to connect with, but it wasn't on the list. And so he fires you. How would you feel? You'd be a little ticked. Because he didn't tell you to do it. God has told us everything he wants us to do, and that's one of the, the, the implications of the doctrine of sufficiency. Letter F, the final one under sufficiency. The Bible is sufficient to accomplish God's purposes. It is powerful. I love Isaiah 55. We studied this as we went through Isaiah. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. Did you catch that? It it shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is powerful. It is a source of power and God says it will accomplish what God intends it to accomplish. Not it might, it will so if we're seeking wisdom, if we're seeking to obey God, if we're, if we're seeking to walk with Him, if we're not digging into God's Word, the source of wisdom and then the source of power, forget it. Forget it. Sometimes we pray about the very things that we're not committed to looking at God's Word to solve. Because again, we want an easy Christianity. God's Word is sufficient, which means we need to be in it. It is enough, but only if we open it. Only if we look. One note, and... um, You know what? I'm going to stop here today. I I didn't want to shortchange sufficiency. We'll we'll look at... um, We'll we'll finish up with general revelation and special revelation and um, necessity next week. 
And then we'll dive into some of the, the other reasons for believing God's word is trustworthy. But my passion today is do we believe God's word is sufficient? Do we believe it's enough? And do our actions reflect that? This week, open the book. Open the app. Be diligent to read it every day. Study it. Ask, how does God want me to think? What does He want me to do? And let's be a people committed to the Word. As Jim, one of our elders, says, our name is Village Bible Church. So Bible is our middle name. Let's prove it and be people of the Word. Let's pray. Lord God, oh, we've studied some some great verses today that talk about the sufficiency of Your Word. And Lord, today I just want to thank You for Your Word, for me, that You gave everything that I need to know to follow You, to know You, that Your Word has explained salvation so I can be an adopted son of Yours, and that you haven't left us hanging, Lord. Lord, what a gracious and loving God you are. Help me to respond to that. Help each of us to respond to that and love your word and diligently look in it for what you would have us do. In your name, amen.